Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome, lovely Skylight listeners. Welcome back to the Skylight Books podcast. Um, I'm your host, Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books. You may notice today that there's a bit of background noise on my end. Um, That's because I'm actually here in the bookstore. I'm over on the arts annex side. Um, I just got really lonely and missed all my coworkers and was very, very sick of my apartment. So I'm here working in the store today. so yeah, you may hear some stuff in the background, but just you know, bear with us. Um, I'll mute myself once the conversation starts so that our guests are not interrupted. Um, if you are just joining us, if you've just discovered our podcast, welcome. Um, Skylight Books, if you're not aware of us, is an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Right now, we are open for curbside pickup, online orders, and in-store browsing with a mask every day, seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, I think what else I can tell you, we have some virtual events coming up on our Crowdcast page. You can find that at crowdcast.io slash skylightbooks. Lots of good stuff happening there. Um, I think our fall is going to be pretty, pretty star studded. So just keep an eye on our page. You can follow us there for the latest updates. Um, yeah, so today we have a really great conversation. I'm so excited to hear um, these two writers speak with each other. Um, we're going to be talking about Denna Agusti's new poetry collection, which is called Cut Woman. And Denna's going to be in conversation with Ray Jordan Achan. So I'm going to read their bios. And then um, I think Denna's going to start us off with a poetry reading. And then they're going to have a conversation. And then maybe we'll close with one more poem. Um, thank you all so much for listening today. All right. Without further ado, Denna Agusti is a queer Indonesian Muslim poet, playwright, and journalist based in Queens, New York. She is the co-founder of Asian multidisciplinary arts collective Uncommon You and Literary Press Shortline Review. She's a 2018 NYC Youth Poet Laureate Ambassador and 2017 Urban Word Federal Hall Fellow. She's a 2019 Players Theater resident playwright for her co-written off-Broadway production Sharum. She is a 2020 Ars Nova Emerging Leaders Fellow and part of Spotify Sound Up's 2020 cohort. Her work has been featured in BOAAT Press, Peregrine Journal, and several other publications. She has performed at the Brooklyn Museum, the Apollo Theater, the 2018 Teen Vogue Subit, and several universities across the nation. Her forthcoming collection, Cut Woman, will be published with Game Over Books in August 2020, which means it's already out because it's August now. Um, just so you guys know, if you can't hear me super well, it's because I'm wearing a mask, um, but we will post these full bios in the episode description if you'd like to learn more. 
All right, and in conversation with Dana will be Ray Jordan Achan. Ray Jordan Achan is a Guyanese-American, Brooklyn-based actor, director, writer, and producer. Ray, Ray is the artistic director of Exiled Tongues Theater Company, a theater company dedicated to producing new work by BIPOC, especially those interrogating stories of diaspora. He is also an associate member of the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation. He's the recipient of the Pet Project Grant, sponsored by Jeremy O'Harris and the Bushwick Star for his play, Free Fallen. He recently was the Artistic Fellow at Ars Nova as part of the Emerging Leaders Group. He's worked at the Park Avenue Armory as a production assistant and has helped advance shows such as Antigone and Judgment Day, as well as events such as the Black Artist Retreat and Armory Iridescent and Culture in a Changing America, 100 Years, 100 Women. He also worked as a producing intern at the Public Theater. Ray recently directed the world premiere off-Broadway production of Sharon, written by Mohammed Murtaza and Dana Agusti at the Players Theater. Currently, Ray is directing his original play, Free Fallen, which is set to premiere at New York Winterfest in January 2021. Ray is also directing La Violation of My Papillon, an original play written by Arlene Pierre Lewis. Ray is a graduate of Wesleyan University with a BA in government and theater with honors. Dana and Ray, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for making the time to talk with me today. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. All right, Dana, you want to start us off with a, a poem? Yeah, for sure. So this is from my debut collection, Cut Woman. It's called After the Incision. Felled on a sudden floor in Indonesia. The part that is supposed to be my clitoris bubbles and expands and expands and bubbles until arms, legs, and a head protrude a figure of flesh. Forms what looks like a body of mine, but the part cut out of me is still there. The body leaps across the Atlantic. I try to pull it down by the ankles, but its legs take me with it. We end up in front of my house, a plot of brick in the West I can name home. The body takes the key from my pocket, lets itself in, rushes to my room. By the time I enter, the body has opened both closets, rummaged through my thing, puts nothing back. I ask the body, why won't you come back to me? The body scoffs, why are you hurt? Because you are not mine anymore. The body shrugs its shoulders. Is that the only reason you feel lost? The body takes the shirt we once shared, photograph of us together, the underwear we liked. I tell me, I miss you. I ask, can we ever happen again? The body leans in. A small pain is still pain. You cut out part of me. Do not be surprised that the rest of me left too. I sob. I choke out, I never wanted this. They said no one could touch us if there was nothing to touch. I heard another body died from an unwanted hand. The rest of it died shortly after. If I chose the hands that killed the same part, I could still live. Yeah. Thank you, Jenna. Ray, do you wanna start us off with questions? Yes. Thank you so much. Um, how did you decide on this title of Cut Woman? And how long did you spend writing this piece? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for talking with me, Ray. And in terms of how Cut Woman came about, 
the title of itself came as the direct translation of um, female of the Indonesian word for female circumcision, which is sunat perempuan. So as mentioned before by Maddie, I am a Muslim Indonesian poet, but also I am a non-binary person, but also survivor of female genital mutilation. And that happened to me when I was nine years old. Uh, but because of the ways in which like it was super normalized when I was younger and also just like how the community was kind of in this form of just like either shutting it out or just not discussing it whatsoever because there's such a taboo around just like discussing genitalia altogether. There was kind of just this disconnect for me in terms of like me and my own body as well as just like how I saw my body. So I saw me as my own person, but seeing my body as a completely separate entity and just not us being a united thing. So Cut Woman overall and just like how the title is and in relation to the book is not only just the ways in which like I have been disconnected from my body and also just like my experiences with FGM, but also just being removed from myself and understanding um and navigating what it means to kind of just either anticipate being removed from the world or coming to terms of what it means to be removed from the world in a particular way thank you for that um could you talk a little bit about being a non-binary person and how you navigate womanhood i think you talk a lot about that in this book could you speak more on that yeah, for sure. So in terms of, well, first kind of discussing a little bit more about the experiences with female genital mutilation for those who don't know. Female genital mutilation is basically the process in which um, a part or a total part of, a, of the clitoris is cut in the vagina as well as any other um, modifications um, that come with it under the assumption that if you cut that specific area or that um, nerve endings, it will quote unquote guarantee that like people will be inhibit the person who has a vagina will be inhibited from their own um, from their own sexual desires and like that's kind of separating them. So growing up, um, I didn't really know exactly what female genital mutilation was. It wasn't really fully talked about. Um, but at the same time, I was very, very aware of the ways in which like I was assigned to womanhood and FGM kind of enforced it in a way. So growing up as like a kid who like is assigned as a girl at birth, like there were a lot of conversations amongst like family and like relatives kind of just like making snide comments of, oh, like she's going to become, like she's going to be a grown up soon. She's going to be older. She's going to like boys soon. Like she's going to become a woman now and also another aspect of it too which is also being like in america and growing up in america and, and my mother the way when she came to this country she was very paranoid and very anxious about how i would be growing up in america because it's a country she's never been to before and the ways that she knew about american teenagehood were simply from Lifetime Women's News Network, or like not News Network, but Lifetime Women's Network. I don't know if people remember that show, True Crime, and like the local news. 
so she kind of just saw these like images of women being exploited and like being undermined and being hurt and it centering around sex so when I went to Indonesia for the first time I was very caught off guard by just the very caught off by the act of it because when I first because it wasn't like I was warned about it in the first place it was just more so the fact that like my aunt was like hey we're gonna go to the grocery store and I went into a taxi and at this point I was there for a month and I had no clue that we were going to go anywhere else but the route looked completely different and it was a lot longer and it was winding down and it ended up happening and afterwards it felt like womanhood was kind of placed on me even more I still didn't feel comfortable with womanhood whatsoever, but I also felt as though if I moved away from it, there was a certain punishment. So being a survivor of FGM, like the comments and the conversations afterwards also just became these more aggressive warnings of being a quote unquote, like good girl. So there was a sexual aspect of it where there's a common saying too, in terms of if you do something that's quote unquote, slightly more sexual or something along those lines, Usually they, like, you are warned by extended family members or those who, like, inflicted it on you. They would say, like, they would say, oh, like, it'll grow back. If you, like, are sexually promiscuous, it, as in part of the clitoris, will grow back and it will have to cut it again. Do you want that? So I already kind of had a fear of just, like, engaging in any sexual desires. But the other aspect of it, too, was that gender was just heavily enforced because of it. If I also engaged in having like looser clothes or presenting myself as like more non-binary and also kind of being less feminine and being less cis feminine, there was also often like the warning too of like, are you forgetting that you were a girl? We can cut, like it'll grow again and we can cut it and we can remind you that you were a girl. And like that it obviously it traumatized me but I think it also like not only in terms of just like being afraid of engaging in anything that's relatively sexual but also just more so of like not engaging with girlhood felt like a punishment refusing to run away from it felt like a punishment and I've always been non-binary my whole life and it's not as if that my trauma made me non-binary or made me a non-binary person but I think like it's the opposite and it's kind like that trauma has made me hold on to girlhood in very particular ways so like I feel like for instance with pronouns like I use they but I still cling on to she in a particular way just because like I know that's how I'm presented as in the first place and arguing with it kind of feels as though like it feels as though it one like is kind of like reminiscent of those traumas but also it feels very odd for me in terms of it feels like I'm kind of veering away from what I've survived from in a particular way. And also it feels as though like I am giving up on something that like I have lost, which is my body, which is like certain identities, which is the way in which like girlhood could have been presented to me on my own terms. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Uh, there's so much passion and emotion that this book conjures up, which I must imagine brings up a lot for you. Um, could you talk about the things you've learned while writing this book and 
how that's been for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been very tricky because as I mentioned before, Cut Woman is a lot about not only my experiences with FGM, but there's just the very overall and larger theme of just navigating not only grief, but just anticipated loss and anticipated grief. And as not only as just like a Muslim Indonesian survivor of female genital mutilation, but also just growing up in New York City um, and being born and raised in Queens, New York. So growing up here, I like, I was very used to kind of, sorry, let me backtrack a little bit. So growing up in Queens, New York, I didn't have that experience of being the only person of color in a predominantly white space. Most of the people and almost all of my friends and close ones were also people of color. So we never had that like interpersonal experiences of like dealing with white supremacist systems. However, they were still instilled on us in very particular ways. So like first in terms of like growing up in the early 2000s and just seeing the ways in which like Islamophobia was super much perpetuated and like kind of seeing how my family and also like members of like the Indonesian Muslim community kind of felt obligated to assimilate in a particular way and like lose part of themselves because there was a fear of just getting killed. And then also at the same time around 2004 was kind of when I started understanding how often because of climate change, there were a lot of natural disasters that occurred in Indonesia, but no one paid attention to them because Indonesia is often seen as this vacation spot and often seen as just like serving people outside of Indonesia. So when like the 2004 tsunami came about, there was more of a conversation about, and also in 2017 with the earthquake in Lombok, like the conversations were always about what's going to happen with tourists and what are tourists like going to do now that their vacation spot is gone and less about the locals and less about the fact that like thousands to millions of people have died because of these natural disasters. So I felt like I was navigating certain losses that were been ignored. And then the other aspect of it too is that, that like, again, going back to growing up in like New York City, like I, there was a huge rise in gentrification starting in 2010 and I was evicted once in Queens. And then my family and I had a business, had a bakery in Lower East Side, Manhattan. And then once there was that, another rise of gentrification in that neighborhood, like we were kicked out because the rent was too high and we couldn't keep up with like the new people that reside in the neighborhood, but also our friends and our family were suddenly gone. People were evicted and they also like completely disappeared. So like when I started the book and when I wrote the book, I was in a very difficult place in which I had to leave home for college, but then I was forced to come back due to financial reasons and coming back, everything completely changed. The places that I loved were completely gone. Every time I saw somebody that I bumped into in like the neighborhoods I used to live in, it was, oh, like, you know, that person, they died or, oh, they got kicked out, but I don't know what happened to them. And then finding out maybe later on social media or something like RIP this person and RIP this, like this other person. So I felt like I was constantly in this sense of like grieving for somebody, but also at the same time trying to um, anticipate another morning and another loss. So 
writing this book was very difficult because I felt like at first it was a defense of like defending all of my identities. But I think like with this book I've learned and I've realized like that like a lot of things can hold true and that like I've learned that like how to see death and how to see loss as a way that isn't so binary and isn't just simply like, okay, this is life and this is death. This is be having something, this is no longer having something. I think this book has kind of taught me that like death and loss don't necessarily have a deadline and that it doesn't necessarily mean that like everything is over and that we kind of just simply wither away into nothingness. We are still left with those that we've lost in some way or another. And we still kind of exist beyond ourselves. So yeah, I don't necessarily, I've learned through this that like death isn't really a continuum. And losing something isn't the end either. Um, it's just more of a state and it's just another state just like anything else. But as we approach that state, we laugh, and we cry and we scream and we enjoy one another along the way. Wow, thank you so much for that. I guess my last question is, what do you want people to take away? Hmm, that's tricky because I think like, I think I can think of things where I, that I don't want people to take away from this in terms of I don't want people to necessarily pity me. And I also don't want the situation in which like someone cries on my shoulder because all they see me as like a person of trauma and just saying like, oh, I feel terribly bad for you. I don't want people to use my experiences or use experiences that are written in this book as a way to kind of as a way to justify their racism or Islamophobia or their xenophobia. And also the other side of that too is that like, for me, for instance, like as like an Indonesian, like I didn't know any other Indonesian poets and Indonesian American poets until after college. And I don't want someone of my community to be, to read my work and just feel bad about their identities and feel bad about their people and like what we go through. But I think what I do want people to take away from this is just understanding that like the hard part about like different intersections of identities is that there is always going to be some act of grieving and there's always going to be some act of losing out on something. And there's always going to be, there's also just the reality that like, you know that in another life and in another reality, like you can exist in a way that you may or may not be happier. But that doesn't necessarily mean that like there isn't a way to come to terms with this life and that there isn't a way and not in a sense where it's like oh like a forced happiness of being grateful but more so of a like there are still joys that are still present here there are still people that like we may or may not have lost that still remain here in one way or another and i think also with ourselves too is that like we shouldn't be too obsessed with being forgotten because in some way we will always be remembered. Thank you so much for answering my questions and I cannot wait to get my hardcover copy of Cop Woman.
Thank you, Ray. And I'm excited for people to read it and I hope they enjoy. Thank you both so much. That was a beautiful conversation. Um, I feel really like lucky that I got to listen to this and I think our listeners will enjoy it as well. Um, Dana, do you want to close us out with one last poem? Yeah, for sure. All right. So this is, um, again, from Cut Woman. You can get it at Game Over Books. Um, orders are still available there, SPD. And if you request it at your local bookstore, it'll be available. But this is party guidelines. We're alive and well. The people will know. Divine Stephen. Play every early 2000s R&B song, middle school emo anthem we try and forget whenever there's death. We become our best through our worst. This is the mantra for our city. Poor Henny on the grave. Top one for JJ's boyfriend who died of alcohol. Fill a corpse with what drove the soul all out. This is what we are, a vessel for things to pass through. To be inside at the right place and time is what keeps us alive. Divine swallows oxy to change his heart rate. In high school, a guy from Lyons smashed his head against the McDonald's on the block. When the EMTs picked him up, blood poured out the hole in the middle of his forehead into his mouth. He grins with sun, says, don't worry, y'all, I'm still handsome. He knows how to spill doesn't need a God to determine when his time's up. Whereas, tears well up in my eyes if my chest rises and falls differently than the night before. I purposely forget the prayer for when someone dies. Inna ilahi, something. I always remember how to start grieving, but never when or how to let it out of my mouth. Play something good when I'm gone. Don't call it an end. Tell everyone I ran off, fell in love with my body again, or I left my body instead, or my body is now married to the dirt. I am in an on-off relationship with dusk. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode. Um, our guests today were Dana Agusti and Ray Jordan Achan. Thank you both so much for this conversation. Um, I really hope our listeners check out Cut Woman, Dena's poetry collection. Um, I hope we can host you both sometime in the near future in our store for a reading. So just know you have a standing invitation um, and uh, you know, hang in there, keep reading poems, keep writing poems. We need them, we need them more than ever. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Maddie. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.